And that's the one thing I absolutely love about this business because you can turn it on and turn it off. So there are times in this business where you can say, I'm flipping that switch off. I'm putting on a different hat today. You know, I'm, I'm hanging out with my wife. We're going to go have lunch today. I'm going to go get a workout in. I've got a tea time at 1 o'clock. As far as I'm concerned, if anybody asks me what I'm doing, hey, I'm a golfer. <laughs> what, what are you? I'm a golfer. That's awesome. What are you? I'm a family man. That's right. Plan to fail so you won't. Production will solve all your problems. Some will, some won't. Stop whining, so what? Just hit your weekly production goal. The weekend starts now. Our podcast this week is with Bill Russell. Bill came into the final expense life insurance business after a very successful 10-year career with Farm Bureau Insurance. Bill was my Farm Bureau agent after he graduated from college in Hayes, Kansas. I tried recruiting him then and kept trying for several more years. Bill moved up the ranks of Farm Bureau very quickly from agent to agency manager to district manager. He soon realized this was costing him time with his young family. Bill called me and said it was time to make a change. He was very coachable right from the start and quickly became our top producer and continues to be an amazing agent, leader, and mentor. Most important, Bill is able to spend all the time he needs to enjoy time with his college sweetheart, Jill, and their two lovely daughters. Bill lives in his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome, Bill Russell. All right. So uh, let's, um, let's start at the beginning. Um, when you were a kid and somebody asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? How would you respond? Well, I guess that's a good question. You know, when you're when you're a kid, at least in my mind, I always think, you know, everybody's got kind of the uh, the reality answer, and then uh, you know, kind of the dream answer. Um, you know, I was a big baseball player when I was a kid, so of course, you always want to grow up to be a professional baseball player or a professional athlete, I guess, in in some way, shape, or form. So. I guess you always have that dream in your head until you come to the realization one day that either that's going to be a little too tough or it's not something you're willing to put in the work for. Um, as far as the reality answer, I think as I as I started, you know, getting older and, and got into college and stuff, I started thinking, well, you know, I do love sports and, and situations like that. Maybe I'll just work at becoming like a, a coach and then eventually an athletic director. Um, which is which is funny to say because that's kind of how I got into the insurance business. You know, when I went to uh, Fort Hayes playing baseball there um, and was in the um, sports rec and management uh, department or as far as what I was studying to become, um, I was actually working towards eventually maybe becoming an assistant coach and then eventually getting into head coaching and then possibly working on my master's and becoming that athletic director. And then that's kind of when my life took that turn when I was referred, you know, was kind of getting burnt out in school and was referred into the insurance business with Farm Bureau. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of when I started thinking, well, you know, what's when you're a competitive person, you know, what can you do in life that's, that's going to give you uh, that feel of competition and, and achievement. And for me, it eventually kind of became sales. And so when I got into the insurance business, I always thought, hey, this is something that I really enjoy and like to do. You know, obviously it's 
very hard when you first start out, but it's it's something I've always been, you know, very happy that I that I stuck with, you know, being in the position I am today. Hey, Bill, did you get your college degree? I did, I did. I've got a uh, uh, what you might call it, you know, the two-year degree that I did uh, receive from Butler County when I went, you know, to junior college there. And then I did graduate with my bachelor's from Fort Hayes in, you know, sports rec and administration uh, and essentially had a minor in business because originally I was in marketing and business, um, which I kind of, which I feel kind of feeds into that whole sales realm. But yeah, I did. Was there anything specifically in college that you can look back and say, oh man, um, I'm glad I did that because I can see it in my business now. Or uh, was there anything that you learned then that applies to the insurance business? Well, I would probably say, you know, playing baseball, just kind of having that discipline where you had to juggle, you know, school every day and then you had to go to practice. And, and during the winter months, like right now, we always had, you know, six o'clock, 6 a.m. weights. So you had to get up early. Uh, go to weights, and then we'd all go to breakfast together, and then you had class all day, and then you had to go to regular practice later on in the day, and then, of course, you were too tired to do anything else other than maybe a little bit of homework after that. So, you know, for me, it was being an athlete that kind of gave me the uh, <clears throat> the discipline that I have now to be able to sit down and say, okay, well, what do I need to do, you know, each and every day to make sure that I'm prepared and ready to go out and do my job well? So uh, tell us the story of how you got here. I know you were working for Farm Bureau, and um, my dad had kind of been talking to you and, and dripping on you, you know, year after year, and finally got you to, to make the switch. How did all that come about? Yeah, that's, that's an easy answer. I mean, I started with Farm Bureau back in 2000, um, and, and originally, and, and things are quite a bit different now. They almost kind of just start you from scratch now, which, which was pretty close, I guess, to how I started. But back when I first started with Farm Bureau, you were given, I think it was about 50 accounts, property casualty accounts. And, and funny thing is, is, is your dad was actually one of my insureds that, that was gifted to me. Um, me. If that never happened, if that never happened, Jim, I probably never would have met you and, and life would have been tremendously different. So I'm sure there was uh, somebody looking down on us, maybe saying this is, uh, you know, somebody or two people I need to match up. But anyway, I remember sitting down, Jim, if you remember this, I remember sitting down with you one day in the office and just kind of doing that insurance review and segueing into the, uh, you know, we, we talk about the uh, financial services side of it, you know, life insurance, disability, annuities, investments, you know, whatever you name it. <clears throat> and I remember you telling me that's that's what you did, and uh, it was it was funny how the whole interview went from kind of me working on you to you <laughs> you working on me as far as you know hey this is this is what I do for a living and if this is something you're interested in you know you can always come this direction so um, like like everybody goes through early in their sales career you always have you know it's it's tough. You know, you deal with adversity, you, you, you have good times, you have bad times, and probably more bad than good. So, of course, I had those situations, you know, just, just working with certain people in the office and, <clears throat> you know, certain trials and tribulations that I thought, well, maybe a change would be good for me. And I remember, Jim, riding along with you and 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 thinking, boy, this is something I think I could really do. And, and I don't know why I didn't make the decision then because Farm Bureau was so new to me. I guess I felt like um, – 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively loyal person, and I felt like, well, I haven't seen this thing through really just yet. Um, I think I just need to, you know, continue to stick this out and see what happens. Well, you know, three years, fast forward three years to 03, and I was moving to Kansas City to take over. Um, that's when a lot of changes were happening with Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau was actually consolidating. It was Kansas Farm Bureau when I started, and it eventually consolidated. Iowa Farm Bureau bought uh, Nebraska, Kansas, and a lot of those other, and, and it became Farm Bureau Financial Services. <clears throat> so with all the changes on the contracts, you know, a lot of people were actually taking off for other opportunities. And so I got an opportunity to move out to Kansas City and actually take over a pretty sizable property casualty book of business. And, and my wife was in college at the time. I had just graduated, uh, and she was finishing up her criminal justice degree. And she told me, you know, hey, you realize with my degree, eventually I'm probably going to have to go somewhere you know, bigger, um, Wichita, Kansas City, Omaha, whatever. And I thought, well, hey, this is a good opportunity for me to kind of get out of here, go spread my wings, have an opportunity to work with more clients, uh, be a little bit more stable. You know, I was good on the financial service side, so to be able to have the clientele to go cross-sell. So I was given that opportunity and took it, <clears throat> excuse me, and moved out to Kansas City in 03 and uh, was out there for, you know, about four, four and a half years. And I remember uh, being a commercial specialist and, and things just kind of hammering down on you and being a little bit overwhelmed. And I remember, Jim, that's when I contacted you again and thought, well, hey, maybe, maybe now's a good time to make that change. And that was when you were with, uh, I can't remember his name now, in Ohio. Uh, Don Howe. Don Howe, yeah. <clears throat> and you sent me all those CDs because I remember <laughs> – it's kind of funny to say this, but I was out uh, running my appointments and running around Kansas City, uh, and in the meantime, I was <laughs> listening to those CDs in my car, um, that uh, like, much like what you have now, the ones you created with Don Howe, and, and thinking, you know, boy, this would be a great opportunity for me, and, and for whatever reason, I just couldn't pull the trigger again. You know, I, I had, again, a pretty sizable book of business in Kansas City, and I thought, man, I just, I just can't walk away from that, you know, and start all over again. And so that was the second time I know I got real close to, to making the jump and didn't. Well, then, sure, you know, and I'd always uh, aspired to be in, in the management side of things. So I thought, well, I'll continue to work towards becoming a district manager. And eventually the opportunity came where um, I became a district manager then in Omaha. So it was a chance to move back home. Uh, it was a chance to become a manager, which, of course, that had changed as far as uh, how they paid those managers when I had first started. You know, they were paid very well. It wasn't so much the case when I became a manager. So I think I, think I fell in love with the, uh, with the position and the opportunity and, you know, and the income level only to realize when I got up to Omaha that it was, it was a tremendous amount of work. You really didn't get to call all your own shots like you did as an agent because – you were responsible for recruiting, you're responsible for hiring, you're responsible for training. And so for me, my job became get into the office early, work all day, and then in the evening all these new agents were vying for your time uh, to work joint appointments at night. So you pretty much just kind of alienated your family. Um, it, was, it was probably the worst experience. I mean, I enjoyed it, but as far as the time that I had at home, uh, was little to none. And so after about two years of that, it eventually got to a point, and Jim, I remember that's when I contacted you, I think, in late 09 and said, hey, <clears throat> third time's a charm, I guess. I'm done. I'm, I'm willing to make the move. Let's, 
you know, clean break here. Let's move forward and let's get into the final expense business. And I remember that's when you sent me all the contracts. So it was actually a great time to do it. Um, that was the year. I don't know if you guys had a, a horrible winter. I'm sure you did up here. It was one of the worst winters we had had in a long time. So it was actually a great time to do it because, um, you know, with, with uh, Farm Bureau actually paid me a couple of months when I left. So I had, I had the time and the money, you know, to step back and get, uh, uh, get appointed with all the final expense companies uh, to drop the correct amount of leads. I know, Jim, we talked about dropping, you know, 5,000 pieces, the first drop, and then 2,000 every week thereafter, and I had the money to be able to do that. It, it, just, was, it just was perfect timing. Um, so that's kind of how I got into the final expense business. It was one of those deals where it just kind of dripped on me for, you know, about nine or ten years, and, and like I said, third time was a charm, and that was when I made the decision to get in the final expense business, and, and obviously been there ever since. So, I remember when you called, and I was like, yeah, sure, Bill. I've heard this before. And you go, no, no, this is it. I'm, I'm, I've made my mind up, and I'm going, yeah, because every time we would do this, Farm Bureau would kind of sweeten the pot and romance you away, and I kept thinking, all right, I got a good one, and I don't, and back and forth. But, <clears throat> but what, you know, think, talk a little bit about what drove you to be self-employed uh, versus leaving steady pay, because obviously – um, with Farm Bureau, gosh, financially, you were, you were knocking it out of the park. But, you know, I, I know a while back I was talking with you and Jill. We were eating a burger at the queue, and I said I asked something about Jill, you know, about how, how you – I mean, I've noticed the changes in you um, just through – when you first started with us, I mean, Botch and, uh, you know, Craig Miller would always get on you. You need to slow down. You need to relax a little bit. You know, take some time off, and you just didn't. You just worked and worked and worked. And I know Jill had mentioned that, you know, back with your, when you were Farm Bureau, even when you took time off, you were still, you were still working. And, and yeah. so what drove you, you know, because Farm Bureau was, you know, you could have stayed there for the rest of your life and made a great living, uh, made a boatload of money. What, what pushed you to, to say, all right, enough's enough? Well, and that's, <clears throat> that's an easy answer for me because, you know, the guy, uh, and I, I don't want to say the wool was pulled over my eyes because the guy who I had always talked to, uh, who was the, the regional vice president for Farm Bureau up here. Um, I really knew he was a previous agent himself. Um, I had kind of built a uh, relationship with him, and he's the one ultimately who kind of pulled me up to Nebraska to be a district manager. Well, what I didn't realize at the time was that his assistant, who was, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he was the assistant uh, RVP. He was the one who was going to become the regional vice president for Nebraska, and this other gentleman was going up to South Dakota. Well, I don't think he wanted to go to South Dakota because he originally was from Nebraska, but um, you know how that is in the corporate world. Um, you know, those things come down, and, and if you want to keep your job or at least have an opportunity, you know, you're basically going to go where they want you to go and do what they want you to do. And so anyway, I, I ended up, you know, having or being paired up as far as my regional vice president or, you know, my boss, who was a guy who I really didn't know, and, and he was a good guy. Um, he started drinking the corporate Kool-Aid. You know, one of the guys who I really didn't care for, um, who was his boss, who was actually in the home office in, in West Des Moines, Iowa, uh, was just real brash and kind of cold. You know, and I'm not saying he wasn't a good guy, but, I mean, this guy would sit in meetings, and, boy, he could stare you right in the eyes and say, you know, hey, here's what we expect. And if you, you know, if you can't do this or if you don't hit these goals, you know, we'll, we just assume walk away from you. I mean, it just it – was, it was one of those situations where you never really knew exactly where you stood. And so that guy that I worked for, who was, who was my boss or the regional vice president here, 
he went from being kind of a cool, fun-loving guy who you could kind of hang around to all of a sudden, man, he was, I don't want to say he was smug, but you just never knew what he was thinking or where you stood. You know, I always used to get up every morning and, you know, I was working my tail off and Hell, I went to the hospital once because I thought I was having a heart attack and, you know, it was probably just a nervous breakdown, you know, working so much and worried so much. <clears throat> and I always told my wife, I said, you know, I don't know what he's thinking. You know, I could go in the next morning and he could say, Bill, you know, I just don't like what you're doing and, and I'm just not happy and we're going to move on. I, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't have said, hey, I, I can get you a, a book of business here and, and you can step back and become an agent again. And I thought, you know what? I'm just sick of it. I'm done with it. I'm putting in way too much time. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's a nice income. You know, I make a better income now. Um, so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to make the decision for myself. I don't want somebody to make that decision for me. I'm going to make that decision for myself. I'm going to step away, away from it, and I'm going to start over, and I'm going to call my own shots, and I'm going to do my own thing, and, and I couldn't be happier. And so that's what pushed me to do it, really, is just kind of the unknown <laughs> That's awesome. Um, the, <clears throat> excuse me. When, um, I guess, how, how should I phrase this? The, the people we work with in final expense are a little bit different than your uh, Farm Bureau people. So I guess the question is, when you made that transition, uh, what was one of the more difficult things uh, that you had to overcome uh, when you went from dealing with Farm Bureau customers to final expense customers? Well, that's an easy answer as well. Um, you really had to become, I guess, when people talk about sales or, or if there's something like a situation that I'm in and I don't quite understand it, I'm always telling people, you know what, talk to me like I'm a kindergartner. You know, because if, if you can't explain it to me like I'm in kindergarten, then it's probably – and I read this somewhere, I can't remember how it goes, but then it's probably too complicated, you know, to understand or deal with anyway. And the people you're working with, and I'm not saying everybody's like this, but, but it seems like the average client that you're working with at Farm Bureau, you're trying to find the affluent people, you know, people who have money. You know, you want those big property casualty accounts. So you want somebody who's got the nice house, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand plus house, you know, so that way you get more premium because you get paid, you know, X amount of percent you know, really kind of on an Azern basis, you know, based on that property casualty account. And then then if you can cross-sell them, you know, you go in there and, and somebody's got money and you say, you know, hey, here's the, here's the other products that we have, and I would like to certainly, you know, be your <clears throat> full-time, you know, multi-line agent, you know, and I would love to, to be able to have your life insurance and, and ultimately your long-term care, you know, any investments that you want to do. You kind of wanted to be that one-stop shop. So you're working with the more affluent type people, or at least you're trying to. And, and, and so very often then, you know, and this goes hand in hand, those are the people who tend to be a little bit smarter or at least maybe make better decisions. Uh, now, those people are probably tougher to sell, you know, because they're a little bit more apprehensive. Um, <clears throat> but they understand it. They get it. And so if you sit down with them, and for me, sales was always about, you know, hey, what, what made sense? I got to put myself in their shoes. What makes sense to them? If I was, if I was these folks, you know, what would make sense to me? How can I show them where they can win the game essentially? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, give you the best deal as far as the property casualty goes. And then as you move forward, you know, help you to protect all those things 
you know, with all the other coverages that we have and, and numbers-wise, how can I show you that when you get to a point when you're at retirement, you've done the best that you possibly could for yourself? You know, you protected everything, but you grew your money, you grew your nest egg, you know, as much as you possibly could, and you gave yourself the opportunity um, to retire and live the rest of your life and not have to worry necessarily about running out of money. <clears throat> and, and it was easy to show those folks, or I should say easier, to show those folks how, you know, hey, here's how you win the game, so to speak. When you talk about our clientele in the final expense business, I mean, if, you know, if I had a nickel for every time that I tried to dumb it down as much as I possibly could, and you still get the same dumb questions or, or they still don't quite understand and you think to yourself, or, or you go through the whole presentation, this is Dion and I talk about this all the time, and then you mention the guarantees and you're looking at them and you, you almost slow it down. And, you know, this will never, the premium will never go up. It never increases. It's one of the guarantees. Boy, you can sit there and, and hammer on that and stand on that. And then it never fails. Five minutes later, they ask you, yeah, well, does the premium ever go up or does the price ever go up? And you always think to yourself, geez, did you even listen to what I said? <laughs> and, and that's the difference in this business. It just seems like you have those frustrations of, of constantly you know, baby feeding these people, you know, and, and then the next person comes along and God only knows what they say to them and they forgot everything you told them. And, and then they're walking, you know, hand in hand, they're walking away with this stranger. And you think to yourself, geez, I mean, it's just frustrating. And, and that's the difference to me. That's the difference, you know, but, but those people are a lot easier to sell too. You know, they're a little bit more trusting. Um, and I would say that's a pro, you know, they're more trusting. They're more, uh, they're a heck of a lot nicer. I mean, how many times in, in the final expense, expense business have we knocked on a door on a nicer house <clears throat> and you get some idiot or, or a-hole who gives you the business and you think to yourself, geez, just because you got money doesn't give you the right to act like that. But they do. Sure. So that to me, that's the difference between the two. Cool. Well, um, if... If you're at a cocktail party or something and, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Bill, what do you do anyway? What do you do for a living? Uh, how do you respond? And also, has that changed um, from when you were at Farm Bureau to now, or do you have you always said the same thing? Well, that's a good question. Um, I've never really got hung up too much on that. Uh, Jim, I remember you always saying you never wanted people bugging you, so you always just told people, hey, I sell life insurance. And they never they never asked you another question again because people kind of pull back when you say that because they think, oh, geez, this guy's going to try and sell me now. Um, no, for me, it's never really changed. I mean, when I was with Farm Bureau, it was, you know, hey, I'm an agent uh, for Farm Bureau. I'm a multi-line agent. Um, I think people always just assume when you say you're an insurance agent, they always just assume the property and casualty, you know, homes and autos. Because how many times have you told people, you say, well, I'm a, I'm a final expense agent, you know, or I, and, and they always say, oh, geez, I need to get a quote from you for my cars. You say, no, 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 I'm, I'm a final expense life insurance agent. You know, I sell life insurance. <laughs> you know, I don't work with any of that other stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Well, what's that? You know, and uh, people always try and, you know, they, they think it's something different. I mean, life insurance, as we know, is life insurance. Obviously, there's different types of products, but, you know, it's not death insurance. It's not burial insurance. It's life insurance. You know, it's going to pay money uh, for whatever reason, I guess, that you need it for. So, for me, it's it's never really changed. I mean, it just went from me being, you know, I'm a, a multi-line agent with Farm Bureau to I'm a final expense life, insha life insurance agent. And if they ask me to elaborate on that, 
You know, I just tell them now, you know, what I'm doing is I specialize in the smaller, you know, five to 25,000, uh, uh, what I say, simplified issue. Final expense, whole life insurance policies to help pay for those final expenses for people, you know, between the ages of, you know, mid 50s to 85. And they all kind of nod their head like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Bill, do you notice, um, <clears throat> going back to that question, when you were with Farm Bureau, um, did you notice when people would ask you that question, it was almost you were excited about it because it was, it was like a, a, a recruiting opportunity, not a recruiting, but a selling opportunity? Because that was one of the reasons I never wanted to get, get into the insurance business because I never wanted to be that guy that was at the cocktail party or at the you know, Super Bowl party and, and uh, was always talking insurance or thinking, gosh, who can I sell or who can I get a quote from or for or something like that. Do you see that? Because obviously now we, we have a lead system. We don't, have to, we don't have to go looking for clients. We have all the clients we want. Uh, do you see that changing at all or, or from final expense from Farm Bureau? Absolutely. And that's the one thing I absolutely love about this business because you can turn it on and turn it off. So there are times in this business where you can say, I'm flipping that switch off. I'm putting on a different hat today. You know, I'm, I'm hanging out with my wife. We're going to go have lunch today. I'm going to go get a workout in. I've got a tea time at 1 o'clock. As far as I'm concerned, if anybody asks me what I'm doing, hey, I'm a golfer. What, what are you? I'm a golfer. That's awesome. What are you? I'm a family man. That's right. You know, when you're a multi-line agent, you're always working. You're, I mean, it's like wearing shackles. And you're absolutely right. You're at that party and you're thinking to yourself, geez, who can I talk to about what I do? Because you're constantly prospecting. In this business, prospecting is, you know, hey, so-and-so, drop 4,000 leads in this area. You know, and here in four weeks, I'll figure out who I need to try and sell. You know, so, so for me, it, it gives you that definite line of knowing, hey, I need to go out and work today. I need, to, um, I need to get after it. And then you can flip it off and say, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I can forget everything about that business for the next three days. I don't even want to look at it. And if somebody calls me, I can answer their phone call, you know, on Monday or Tuesday, you know, as long as it's not urgent, which... <laughs> These people make it sound like everything is urgent, and it's not. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, to me, that's the one thing that I absolutely love about this business is I'm not constantly prospecting. So if you couldn't do this business and the, the government was going to come and give every senior citizen a ten dollars or $15,000 free life insurance policy or something and we didn't have a job tomorrow, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> Uh, the, that's the sky is falling. It always reminds me when you say that of the Schellenbergers. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, Jim knows what I'm talking about yep. because and I can't remember which one's which. I think it was uh, Ryan telling Logan, he goes, what, what would you ever do if this all fell apart or if this all, you know, if you didn't get any leads back or the government did this? And aren't you ever worried about that? And Logan said, well, I wasn't until you said something. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. But, um, you know, what would I do? I don't know. Um, I always had this to fall back on when people ask me at Farm Bureau, you know, hey, what would you go do if you ever left here? And, uh, I remember telling Don Maker that one time. We were at a uh, recruiting fair, and, you know, just another darn day at a recruiting fair and talking to all those weird people and, and thinking to yourself, geez, 99% of the people you talked to you didn't want anyway. Um, but I remember Don asking me one time, you know, what would you do if you ever left Farm Bureau? And I knew exactly what I'd do. I told him, I said, this is exactly what i do. And, and lo and behold, it happened. And, and lo and behold, here he is again, you know, second time through. And, and he said, Bill, I'm not doing anything else. I'm in the final expense business for the rest of my years. And, you know, and that makes me feel good. But, 
Um, if this went away, um, I'd find something. You know, I don't know. Um, I'd probably do some research on something and find something. I'd probably sell something. Um, what exactly? I have no clue. And, and even this business, if, if the government came out today and said, hey, we're giving everybody $10,000, you know what? The best agents would still be able to work this business and would still make a good living, in my opinion. Absolutely. So uh, was there a time when you kind of worked your butt off maybe two or three days and you didn't think uh, anything was going to happen and then you, you found a house and kind of hit it out of the park and said, yeah, I'm done? Can you tell me that story? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've had weeks where, you know, and I remember first starting in this business and telling my wife, man, I was scared. Um, you know, I remember setting appointments and going out and, and my first, you know, three or four appointments, I remember I didn't sell anything in the morning. Um, you know, first, first appointment or two in the afternoon didn't sell anything. And I thought, Oh boy, here we go. Um, but as you get going in this business, you start realizing, you know, don't press, don't press, just, you know, let it happen. It's a numbers game. Let the numbers work out, you know, because they always do. Um, and so I've had many a weeks where, you know, I'll tell Dion, I said, Hey, I didn't make my first sale until three o'clock in the afternoon. And I've had weeks or I've had days where I made that first sale late afternoon, almost early evening. And you hit those couple, three great appointments and you drive home with four or five, 6,000 in your pocket. And you think to yourself, geez, and I was worried, you know, you're worried all day and then you're driving home and you think you're, you know, you're the best. But I remember one time in Sioux City, it was it was like that. I think I had one or two apps in my pocket. It was just a, a crappy day, a crappy week. I think it was my second day out. I was getting ready to, <clears throat> I was going to head home that night. And I thought, well, I got a couple hours of downtime here. I'm just going to step away from it. I'm just going to detach from it. I remember going to the mall and I bought a watch because uh, I needed a new watch and just kind of walked around and just kind of people watch for a little bit and just Again, just detach from the business. Just let my let my mind have a little break. And I think I had three appointments, all with couples, later that evening. And I went out and went boom, 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 and wrote six apps. And I ended up getting up over ten thousand, and drove home. And, and I remember Dion having a similar day. And we drove home talking to each other. I had an hour and a half drive home, and we were laughing on the phone all the way home, talking about how this business can can change in a heartbeat. You know, you can go from a from a bum to a hero, and again, that all just comes back to being persistent, hanging in there, knowing the numbers are going to work out, and just continuing to work your leads. Was there something that you struggled with? Um, I know you mentioned, you know, having those days, but um, was ordering leads a struggle? Was, you know, getting the, the presentation down a struggle? And I just mean that transition period of, you know, your first couple of weeks doing final expense compared to, I mean, how, how long were you at Farm Bureau? I was at Farm Bureau for almost 10 years. I was an agent for eight. I was a manager for two. Um, and yeah, it was a struggle. You know, we had a little sales track that we used. And, and actually, to be honest with you, I think I became a, a better salesperson uh, when I got into the final expense business and, and people would say, well, why is that? Well, you're, you're swinging a lot more, you know, you're out there giving presentation after presentation after presentation, you know, day after day, you know, a farm bureau, you know, you're spending more time in the office doing service work. You're spending more time doing prospecting. You know, you're, you're lucky if you're given, I remember we used to talk about having about eight appointments a week, you know, well now I'm, I'm trying to have eight appointments a day. Um, 
and, and, and the sales track that I use, obviously, is very close to Jim's because I made Jim write it out and send it to me. And so when I first started, yeah, it probably sounded a little canned. And, you know, and the Kinder Brothers talk about that. They say, hey, these presentations that we give you, we know these work. And, yeah, we do understand and realize that this does not sound like you. But they always tell you to, to personalize it, to professionalize it, and then it becomes yours. And, and the way that I read into that is you go over it so many darn times that maybe there's a word that, that you use a little bit different word, but it has the same effect. But regardless, you're still using the same skit, you know, the same track, the same process. Um, and eventually you've got it personalized to where it does sound like you. And, and now, you know, I know it so well, and I've added a few of my little, you know, tidbits in there and, and some of the other things that I've picked up from other agents. And, you know, now I've even found myself, even though it's, it's pretty much the same sales track every time, you know, I may do it, you know, in different ways, or I may, you know, add some things in, you know, or, or remember certain things that I used to say at times and, and maybe forgot to say it the next time. But regardless, I always have the same effect that I feel. I have the same effect on people when I sit down with them and I'm able to convey to them, you know, and Jim, if you read that article I sent to you, it said the best salespeople are able to create problems and then solve them. So I think that's what I do a really good job of right now is that when I sit down with these folks and I find out what their concern was, I'm able to expand on that, take that little problem and make it sound really big and maybe even throw in a couple of other problems in there and then solve them. And, and then for me, that's, you know, the, the close then becomes easy. What was one of the most crazy or bizarre war stories that you have? Well, that's a pretty vague question. I don't know what you mean by that, but. Well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you one of mine and uh, give you a little time to think about it. But this was, okay. I was really early in the business and I was working in Russell, Kansas. I was actually going to college while I was selling. And so I was working close to home so I wouldn't be having to drive, you know, two or three hours away. Um, but I, I was just door knocking. I just had leads, you know, I didn't have time to set appointments or anything like that. And I door knocked this lady's house and she answers in her nightgown uh, you know, one of those that you can kind of see through and you're like, Oh, good Lord, what am I doing here? And, you know, I fight my way in the house and we're sitting there and I'm giving her the presentation, but she doesn't look very healthy. And she just kind of gives me the finger kind of like, uh, excuse me for a second and leans over and throws up on her like little side table. There's like a little cup there. And I'm just like, Oh shit. What? <laughs> what's going on here. And she's like, okay, you know, you can continue your thing. I'm like, really, do I need to leave or whatever? And so, you know, I continued and made an, a little sale and got out of there. And I was just like, what just happened? You know, it, but it definitely opened my eyes to where I was in the business and what I was doing. But yeah, definitely a, a scary house to be in, especially when you're brand new in the business. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, we've all had those types of stories where you've been around somebody, the way, the way that they're dressed or what's going on in that house, you always think to yourself, you know, it's just surreal. You know, you, you don't know what's going on or what's happening. I mean, I've had homes that I've been in that I thought, you know what, I don't care if I make a sale here or not. I just pretty much just want to get out of here, I think, just kind of move on. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, 
you know, I've, we've all had those houses where they're hoarders. You know, I had an old lady one time, I remember walking in, and she had just little skinny pathways. And it was a, it was a basement door, so it was kind of like a raised, I don't know if you'd call it like a raised ranch where the garage is below grade or whatever, and we kind of walked in, you know, a door down in the basement or whatever. And, you know, nice lady, and I mean, the place was relatively, you know, it didn't stink. It was relatively clean. She just had things stacked up all over the place. And if the world came to an end, I think she'd have been fine for several years, but... <laughs> I don't know if she had Alzheimer's or dementia. You know, I checked her medications. I asked her questions. And, and, you know, we've all had those people where it seems like, you know, a few questions and, and for 30 seconds, you know, they really, you really have a good conversation with them. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you ask a couple of questions or they say a couple of things that you think, what? You know, what's going on? Is this person nuts? And, uh, you know, I remember I ended up selling her a policy, and it was maybe, uh, it was like over a year later, I remember her daughter calling and saying, where'd this come from? How'd this happen? And, and well, you know, she sent in a card. I, you know, I set an appointment with her. I sat down with her. She wanted to take care of these expenses. Well, boy, she don't need this. Well, fine, then cancel it, you know, whatever. But <clears throat> you just think to yourself, wow, you know, just weird situations like that where you just have, you know, a, a normal conversation one minute, and then the next minute it's a real weird conversation. And, and uh, yeah, and, I, you know, Dion and I are always sharing those stories. You know, I've had people where, you know, based on what they believe in, you know, they've got deals hanging up in there and things they've written out. And uh, one lady one time caught me taking a picture of her little depiction of, the, you know, the end of the world and how things were going to work out. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, oh, I was just taking a picture of this. I said, I thought it was pretty good. I was going to share it with one of my buddies. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, she said, and I thought, geez, you're nut job, you know, I'm just, I'm just taking a picture of this so I can remember it down the road, but, I mean, yeah, I had a guy answer the door one time, and, I mean, based on what you were telling me, um, you know, he was waiting for his daughter to come home, and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to sit down with you, you know, unless she's around, and, you know, and it was a, I don't want to say it was a it was a stinky house, but they probably didn't take real good care of it. It looked like it was wooden floors, and he came to the door. He was an amputee, and he came to the door kind of half-cocked on his wheelchair, just wheeling it over, and he had one of his you-know-whats hanging out of his shorts, and it was almost dragging on the floor. And I thought, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> Never seen that before, and, and I remember saying, yeah, okay, yeah. Here, have your daughter call me. I'll talk to you later. And I was on. Uh, that was that was odd. But nice. So, uh, yeah. at what point did you realize? You know, this is it. I don't need to look anywhere else. I'm gonna. This is kind of the the thing I'm gonna be doing for the rest of my life. Well, I mean, pretty pretty quickly um, because I thought to myself, you know, what in the heck? What what else could I go do that I can make this kind of money? Have this kind of um, time, you know, to do the things that I want to do and yet not really have to answer to anybody. I, I, there's nothing. I mean, what else would you go do? I mean, my, um, and, and Jim, you know, Andy, uh, my brother-in-law, you know, he was in this business, he was selling. And I think now he kicks himself that he's not still doing this, but the only reason he's not is because my sister, <clears throat> you know, hated so much. Every time somebody called to cancel, you know, she was kind of in it with him you know, she felt the effects and the stress of that, that she was like, oh, boy, you can't do that anymore. And I said, well, Andy, you could have went on a, you know, as earned contract and probably didn't have to deal with that anymore. Um, but he's a very smart guy, very educated guy. He's got his uh, 
bachelor's and his master's. He actually teaches online. He's now fully retired from the Army. He went through the whole process, which took a couple of years uh, to own a Chick-fil-A. Uh, so he now owns a Chick-fil-A up in North Omaha, and that guy is there at 5 o'clock every morning, and he comes home a little after 5 o'clock every day. And, he's, and they're closed on Sundays. So he's putting in, you know, 72 plus, you know, 70 to 80 hours a week running this Chick-fil-A. And I guarantee you he looks back and he probably envies the situation he had where you could get out and you could work two days and get it done and move on. And, and I just don't know what else I could go do um, and, and have, have all those things, you know, all those pros. So in your mind, uh, who's the most successful person you know? and why and obviously you have to define success in in this process too but yeah and i mean success obviously is different for everybody but um you know jim i would throw you in there um i mean when you're in a situation where you can go work one day a week and you probably don't even have to do that um you know in my opinion that's successful you know when you get to a point where and, Jim, you're the only person I've ever talked to that I've said, well, why'd you go out and work this week? And you said, well, because I was bored. And uh, you just a, don't hear I, that. I you know, you don't hear that from people. People don't go to work because they're bored. People go do something fun because they're bored. Um, but you know what? This business, when you get to a point where it's not pressing down on you so much anymore, you, you have the money you need, um, you've got the leads, this business can be fun. Uh, you know, Greg Fonensteel, I, I talked to Greg one time and I said, well, you know, what do you think about this business? He goes, Bill, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. And I go, why don't you make phone calls? He goes, I enjoy knocking on doors. And you know what? I've gotten to where I enjoy it too. Uh, here when the clocks move forward and it starts, the days get longer and, uh, you know, it starts getting dark at like, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night. Boy, that's a great time to get out and beat on doors. Uh, last year, especially when I was in Sioux City, Iowa, I would leave the house at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, Jim, you always tell that story about those new agents when you're at the hotel, how you'd be out working, you'd drive by, and their car was still parked at the hotel, and you think, oh, boy, that guy's not going to make it. You're right. But once you're in this business long enough and you really kind of understand it and know exactly what you need to do to be successful, boy, it can really be fun because then you can, you know, as a seasoned agent, you can get away with that stuff. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the summer, I like to take, and this is what I did in Sioux City, I'd leave the house about 3 o'clock because I don't care who you are, uh, whether you're disabled and you're sitting at home or whether you still have a job, you know, and you're out working, you're getting home 5 or 6 o'clock at night. If I get there in the evening, the chances are highly likely I'm going to be able to catch whomever you are normally. So I'd leave at 3 o'clock. I'd get up there, knock on my first door, you know, about 4.30 or 5 o'clock. I'd work straight through until it was dark. And it would never fail. It seemed like most weeks I would have about six apps for about $4,000, and I'd laugh about it. I'd think, man, I just worked half a day. I worked my tail off. Um, but, man, I hit my minimum goal. You know, I could drive home right now if I wanted to, and then I'd stay the night, and, and it never failed. I would have a, few, a handful of appointments. You know, people say, oh, come back tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, my wife works nights. Great. Come back tomorrow at noon, I'll be home, or, you know, we work two jobs, but we're usually home from noon to one or whatever, eat lunch. Great. So I'd, I'd have that good day in the evening, the first day, go out the next day, pretty much work, you know, from morning until about early evening. And as long as I didn't have anything going on, you know, mid to late evening, there were a lot of times, three or four o'clock, maybe even five o'clock, I was back on the road heading home. I was still home when it was light out. 
everybody was outside. They, they had just gotten home from work. People are grilling out, hanging out. Here comes Bill Russell pulling into the driveway Tuesday night, and guess what? My weekend just started. Everybody's got to go to bed tonight. they got to go work tomorrow. I don't. And, and I love that. You mentioned a minimum goal. Uh, what does a goal setting look like for you personally? Well, I got away from that this past year, and, and Jim, you probably noticed that in my production. <clears throat> um, I, I always, and my minimum goal really was, was Jim always talked about 4,000. So to me, that was my minimum goal. By, you know, that's the one I wanted to carve in blood. I want to go out every week, and boy, if I don't hear 4,000. 4, and, and, of course, I've had weeks where I've done, you know, 3,800, exhausted all my leads, worked my tail off, and I thought, you know what? If that's my worst week, I'm going to take it. You know, if your worst weeks are 3,500, 3,800, four grand, boy, you're going to be happy. Um, but I go out every week with the goal of I need to be at 4,000, do everything in my power to get to four. And then my, my maximum goal or my superior goal needs to be 6,000 and above. So when I get to where I'm 6,000 plus, like this week, I got, um, I set appointments. I had seven appointments for my first day out. I didn't have any my second day. Called through all my cards once. You know, of course, normally I used to do it two or three times, but now I've gotten to where I door knock a lot more. I went out and I worked that first day and I wrote five apps. And I think I was at about 3,500. So I was almost to my minimum goal. So I was pretty happy with where I was at. I went out the next day and wrote eight applications, got up to just under 6,500. It was, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I, it was Ash Wednesday, you know, for all of us Catholics out there. And I called my wife and said, hey, what time are you going to church? I'll be home. I'll go with you. And uh, so, you know, for me, it's, it's knowing that I need to work probably at least 45 weeks out of a 52-week year. Um, I don't like to take too much more than that. I mean, eventually I think it'll probably be around 40, but I like to average, you know, some of my best years I was averaging in my production about 62 to 6,300 of annual premium. I want to be around that quarter of a million to 300,000 of, of annual premium by the end of the year. That's really my goal. That's where I want to be. Do you have any other goals as far as, you know, not production business stuff, just everyday life goals? No, and I probably should. Um, I've gotten the back. I've gotten back into working out, which I, I enjoy doing. It's going to be tough for me in the summers because I do like to play golf. So a lot of times it's easy for me to say, "Hey, I'm going to go out to the golf course and play golf instead of going into the gym." Um, but I mean, my goal now is to, you know, I like to get up in the morning and, and help get get the kids off to school. So I don't, you know, even when I'm not working, I don't like to lay around. I don't like to be lazy. I'm not that type of person. So my goal really is to kind of get up and attack the day. I don't have any really, you know, goals in particular. I just want to get up, uh, get moving around. I like to watch a couple of the sports shows. I like, I want to get in the gym. I want to get a good workout in. Uh, then I'd like to either go maybe hit some golf balls or go play golf, uh, maybe do something with the wife in the afternoon and then be around in the evening just to hang out with the kids. And now that we got a dog, you know, just kind of play with them, maybe grill out, just have family time. Um, so, so for me, I guess my daily goal is just about living and living the right way, you know, doing, doing the things that are important to people. Cool. Well, whenever you go golfing and miss the gym, just do like 20 pushups at every hole and 20 squats on every even hole and you're good to go. You can hit both of them at the same time. 
young guys like you can do that. An old guy like me, once I do that, I got those spaghetti arms. And why, why, why did you chunk that chip? Why can't lift my arms? What are you talking about? So, uh, what are you passionate about? And uh, we used to ask this at the uh, at the seminars, and we get all the responses. Well, I'm really passionate about life insurance, or I'm passionate about final expenses. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. But I got to use a quote from you that you said earlier, and that'll really tie this question up. What do you do when you're bored? Because people do fun things when they're bored, right? So yes. what do you do when you're bored? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. That's a good question. I do a lot of different things when I'm bored. I mean, I, <clears throat> I enjoy doing things around the house. So I, I enjoy mowing my lawn. I've got a rider lawnmower, so I'll throw in my headphones. I enjoy mowing the lawn. Um, you know, edging it, doing all the, the little things, you know, when you talk about manicuring something. So people probably laugh at me. I get a little um, obsessive compulsive with those types of things. I love, you know, cleaning out the garage and, and just kind of having that, uh, you know, clean space where you can pull the vehicles back in. I got everything hung up on the walls. So again, I'm a little obsessive compulsive with that. But for me, I, I like to work hard and I like to play hard. That's probably my passion in life. You know, I like to <clears throat> good hard day's work for me. The ultimate day is, you know, when I get done with this, getting to the gym, getting a good workout in, having a chance, you know, as far as passion, uh, you know, my passion now is to, is to go play golf and then um, doing those things around the house. And then I've got uh, a lot of buddies on the street that hang out um, and, and we'll have a drink together and, and, <laughs> And, and we have good conversations, and uh, I got a couple of buddies. One guy's in the construction business. He's really good with, with wood. He used to be a framer. And, and another guy, a good buddy of mine, he's in the IT, um, so really smart as far as computers and stuff like that goes. They're actually building an arcade. So I love to go down there, and, you know, we'll have a beer together, and, and everybody just kind of sits there and helps out and watches while they're doing all these these stupid little projects. And to me, that's that's life. That's what's fun, you know, to – just to remember those relationships and to hang out with people. And, and all of our families are friends. You know, all their wives are friends with my wife, and all of our kids are friends together, and they run around. And, and it's just we're just in a great neighborhood, and we enjoy it. What do you listen to while you're mowing? Music or podcasts or books on tape? You know, I, I, I need to listen to more books on tape. Um, a lot of times when I work out of town, I try and pray the rosary when I'm on the road, and I've got – uh, my Apple play in my car so I can play it through the car where I can just kind of pray along with it. So I always, I always like to get my mind right doing that. So like when I leave for Columbus, my first 25 minutes of the day, you know, I'm saying the rosary and I'm praying and, and I'm asking God for certain things. And I'm praying for people who need those, you know, prayers or sacrifices or whatever. And, and, and for me, that's kind of getting my mind right and getting in the, in the right frame of mind. And then after that, I'll jump into maybe sports radio. You know, I like to listen to a lot of sports radio. I'll listen to, right now, the NFL Combine's going on. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'll listen to Sports Center, or I'll listen to Fox Sports, and they've got, you know, all the analysts and everybody on as to, you know, who's, who's a good prospect and who's not. And I just, I enjoy those things because, for me, you know, at Farm Bureau, how I was taught about how, you know, the numbers tell the story, it's fun to listen to those things because those guys are all hooked up on the numbers, you know. What's this guy's hand size? What's his 40 time? What's his vertical? What's his broad jump? You know, what did he do the cone drill in? And, and, and people really get hung up on all those numbers, and they do mean something. Um, but, you know, what we can't measure is, 
You know, what has somebody got in their heart? You know, what do they have in their head? You know, and you see the Tom Brady's of the world, you know, who went to the combine and ran a five. What You know, he was slower than most linemen. You know, he was so weak, he could barely lift anything. I mean, he looked terrible. Um, and look at the quarterback he is today. You know, so what a lot of people could measure about him was, you know, the drive that he had, the chip on his shoulder. And, and so, I mean, when you talk about passionate, I mean, that's, that's kind of the things that I like to do. So then when I'm on my mower, as, as far as music, um, I'm weird. I listen to all different types of things. Um, when I work out, I, I like to listen to techno. You know, I mean, I like to get it going. Um, or uh, like a hip-hop R&B or something. Uh, every once in a while, I'll put on rock. Um, when I play golf now, if I'm playing by myself, I'll put in my headphones and I'll play. Otherwise, I can take out a Bose speaker and I can set it on there and maybe just turn on rock or something other people like to listen to as well. And, you know, you just kind of enjoy your time out there and play and you kind of forget about things. So, I don't know, long-winded answer, but no, that's those are perfect. all the things. Is there anything that you're actively trying to get better at? Well, I think we're all actively trying to get better at everything that we do. I mean, if you ever get to a point where you think you're done, um, you know, that's complacency. Um, Tiger Woods always talked about that. They're like, geez, are you kidding me? Look at all the majors you won, everything you've done. You're trying to change your swing again. And he goes, I'm trying to get better. You're not getting better. You're getting worse. So, I mean, for me, you know, it's the usual things, you know, trying to get better at being a, you know, better husband, being a better father, um, trying to, to get better at, uh, at this business. You know, I, there are times where I procrastinate a little bit, you know, and I'd like to get to where I don't at all, you know, and I don't think that'll ever happen, but, um, I mean, just those daily things, you know, going to the gym, you know, I'd love to be in a situation where, you know, I was in tip top shape, um, 5% body fat and, you know, working every single week and setting appointments and getting out there and killing it right in three or 400,000 events, you know, but those are the things that you're like, you know, whoa, you get to a point where you get consumed, you know, by all those things or whatever. And then maybe you kind of forget about some of the more important things in life. We watched that. Have you ever seen that movie collateral beauty? That's the one with uh, Will Smith Mm -hmm. where he loses his daughter. Okay. And um, basically long story short, um, there's these three people that they believe to be real people and they kind of hire them as actors to kind of bring him back. He's disconnected from his life, from his job, from his wife. He's divorced. He's kind of letting his life just, just go into the abyss. And, and, and the one old lady, you know, and they turn out to be angels, you know, you figure out by the end of the movie, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, um, the one lady, uh, the old lady, she's sitting in the hospital next to the wife and the wife's crying because they're getting ready to take their daughter six years old off of life support. And she said, who are you losing? And she said, my daughter, she's six years old. You know, she has this or whatever. And, and uh, you know, she asked her if she's lost anybody before. And, and she says, no. And, and the old lady looks, looks at her and she says, well, don't, don't forget to pay attention to the collateral beauty. And it's one of those things that really kind of stuck with her. And, and I think it's, you know, as we get faced with adversities in life and, and these things are just going to happen, you know, obviously that's a terrible situation. It's a tragic loss, but... I think a lot of times we just we forget that there's so many beautiful things going on around us, you know, that, that we forget we don't pay any attention to. So I've always tried to really, when I'm out working, just to kind of take those few minutes, just kind of look around, you know, people watch a little bit, um, you know, if somebody needs help with something, you know, I'll walk up, you see an old lady coming out and 
carrying groceries or whatever. Ma'am, do you need any help or anything? Can I help you with anything? Oh, no, I'm fine. Okay. You know, or you see the homeless guy in the corner, you give him a few bucks or something and just, just to pay attention to the things around you. Awesome. Contentment versus drive, I feel are kind of arguing with each other. And so in your life, you know, what brings you contentment? But if you get too much of that, you're just going to sit at home and do nothing, which you already told me you don't do that. So um, what drives you to get out of the house and go uh, knock on some doors every week? Well, right now it's still money, <laughs> you know. Um, Jim, you always talk about this. You know, you're always you're always out there trying to pay the mortgage. Um, <clears throat> you know, so I mean, that's what that's still what drives me now. I mean, we we finished our basement here a few years ago, and you know, if you listen to the uh, um, when I'm drawing a blank now, the money guy that Botch always listens to, Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, yeah. Um, he always talks about, you know, never buying anything or never doing anything until you have the money to do it. You know, if you got to borrow the money for it, um, then then you just quite honestly don't need to do it. And obviously we all know there's times where you have to borrow money. And, Jim, you've told me this before that, you know, you don't ever borrow money for your toys. Um, and I agree with that. But, um, you know, so I'm in a situation here where I still have a, a couple of big bills I'd like to get paid off. And then once I do... I feel like I'd be, you know, rather content to know that I'm in a pretty good situation. So for me, that drive is getting to that point because um, right now I'm on an Azurin contract with Transamerica, which was a big deal for me, and I enjoy the heck out of it. Um, I want to get to a point where I'm on Azurin contracts with everybody and, and making enough money to be able to, you know, pay all my bills, do everything that I need to do, and to put away X amount of dollars, hopefully be able to max out you know, my 401k, my UNIK, uh, an IRA. And then I think I'd be pretty content, um, but that wouldn't stop me from getting out and, and working, um, you know, because I would still be driven to get out and do the things that, that I enjoy doing. And I still, you know, I still want to hit those produ uh, production goals every year and, and do those things. So, I, you know, I think those, you know, there's nothing wrong with being content, um, but you can't, you can't be completely complacent. I mean, you can't get to a point where you just say, Hey, I'm done altogether, or or I don't need to work on anything, you know. So I'm always looking at things that kind of help me get better on a day to day basis. How have your views and goals changed over the years, or have they? Well, I mean, they certainly do. I mean, how often have we looked back at something, a decision you made years ago, and you think to yourself, "What was I thinking there?" Um, so I, I think we're always changing. I think that's inevitable. Um, you know, you have to embrace that change. People who don't embrace that change are the ones who kind of start to disconnect. But um, ask me the question again. How have your views and goals changed, or is there something that you've changed your mind about in the last year or two? I would, I would just answer that and say as far as my views go, you know, I'm 41 now. You know, when you're 21, your views are, I mean, mm -hmm. really all about yourself. You know, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? So I would say my views now are a little bit more about, you know, what can I do for my family or what can I do to, you know, to help other people out? So eventually you kind of get to that point, I think, where your views kind of start to switch a little bit more to others as, a, as opposed to, you know, just self-satisfaction. Do you have a, a favorite failure or something that you look back on and said, man, I really screwed that up, but I'm glad I did because it taught me X? I can't think of something right offhand, but 
they're they're there. You know, I've I would I can't think of anyone in particular, but I would go to the Michael Jordan quote where he says, you know, hey, I've missed so many shots in my life. I've done. He talks about all those failures he's had. You know, he's been trusted to take the last shot of the game x amount of number of times and miss, and that is why I succeed. So I wouldn't say that there's anyone in particular that really stands out as being, you know, not like getting cut, you know, Michael maybe getting cut from the uh, freshman basketball team or something like that. But I would say all the little ones throughout life have, have brought me to this point, you know, because we've talked about this all the time. It's, you know, it's never truly failure until you've given up. So they're not necessarily failures. It's just, it's just times where things just didn't work out quite the way that you wanted to. You know, and I truly believe God has a plan, you know, for all of us. And I, and I don't think he's trying to, you know, everybody tries, tries to say every particular situation means something. I don't think that either. I think, you know, we're living life on our terms and we've got that free will to do those things. And I just think we just get faced with those um, adversities and, and hardships just to kind of help us make us better people and to move forward and, and say, well, I'm just not going to give up. I'm just not going to give up, and eventually I'm going to get to that point where I feel like I'm successful. We, we talk about um, how well this business relates with sports and things like that, and especially baseball because we all played baseball. But um, how does developing that short-term memory, especially in sports, um, relay to our business? Well, and that's, that's a great question. And, you know, we talk about baseball and I think baseball uh, really is one of the better when you talk about hitting, because, you know, some of the best hitters will fail seven out of 10 times, you know, now in this business, normally you're not failing that bad. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't days that you do, but um, I, I think that's, it, it's a great way of, of teaching you that, you know, Hey, this is, this is tough. This is tough. And I mean, this, this business all the time, I tell people, I say, listen, I mean, if I, you know, I've hired a lot of, or talked to a lot of folks that have come into this business and, and almost every one of them has failed except for, you know, X amount of people. And, and, you know, you can almost count them on one hand. I, I really think it, uh, it conditions our mind to know and understand that, Hey, this is really tough and, and it's okay to fail and it's okay to, you know, for things not to work out the way that, that you're hoping it to work out. But if you hang in there and, and you trust that process and those sales tracks that, you know, it eventually will. But, I mean, that's, you know, I, I would go all the way back to my baseball days and, you know, and say the same thing, you know. So I'm, I'm conditioned to know and understand that, you know, when I was a hitter in baseball, you know, if I didn't get a hit six or seven out of ten times, I felt pretty confident that I was still – one of the best, one of the best at what I did. And, and it's the same thing with this business. So, you know, I would say those things, you know, and I don't know about other sports, if, if you can have an analogy for it. Um, yeah, you, I'm sure you could. Um, but I think those things help out. You've been really successful and for, for years now, do you still have the elation when you hit your goal or is it just expected now? I'd say a little bit of both. I mean, I mean, it, it's like hunting. You know, I, I, I used to go hunting or fishing with my dad. It, it's like fishing too. I don't care how many times you've been fishing or how many times you've been hunting. When, when, you, when you kill that deer or you kill that bird or you catch that fish, 
you're still elated every time you catch one, even if it's just a little fish. You think, you know, just just that, that unknown, you know, when you cast into the water, you have no idea what's underneath there. You're, you're working the bait, and, and bam, there's the strike. And it's that elation of knowing, hey, I got an opportunity here to reel something in. And it's the same way in this business. You know, every time that you go out, and me, it's, it seems like, you know, in this week I had a bunch of smaller type sales, but it seems like those weeks where I, I get into that one home with that, that younger couple that's still working and they can afford a little bit more and I make those two nice, and you know they're solid, two real nice solid sales and you walk out with like two or three grand of, of annual premium. And, and that's, for me, that's the elation. It's, it's knowing, boy, I, you know, I've got those particular clients. I had a good relationship with them. I know this is a good solid sale. And every week that you go out, it's tough to get going. Once you get going, then it's easy to stay going. Um, and then once you hit those particular sales, I don't care how long you've been in this business, at least for, I can speak for myself, there's still that elation, that, that thrill of the kill, you know, that knowing that you went out and you worked hard and you picked that one up, and it's because of you. <clears throat> you know, they didn't call you up and say, hey, come out here and sell me something. You know, they sent the card back in, but, but I don't care. You know, how many people we talked to sent the card back in who said, I don't remember sending that in, or I could care less, or, you know, throw it away, or, you know, so it's still that whole process of, you know, hey, I've got to do the mailings, hey, I've got to get the card back, hey, I've got to jump on the phone, hey, I've got to knock on that door, i got to get in that house, I've got to ask questions, I've got to make the presentation, and ultimately when you make that sale, you go through all that hard work, there's always going to be that elation saying, boy, I'm, you know, it was because of me that I made that big sale. Have you um, have you perfected asking questions? And I'm I'm talking about everyday life, but um, especially in the home, we've got to ask for social security numbers and bank account information, and you know who their beneficiary is going to be and things like that. But um, does that carry over in your everyday life, or um, have you perfected this this art of asking questions? Well, I mean, I don't. You know, I think anything that you do in life is part of your everyday life. I don't, I don't think people go out and sell and then come home and just act completely different. Um, for me, it's just, and, and Jim, you've talked about this all the time, it's, it's the assumed. You know, you talk about the assumed clothes. There's, there's more things that are assumed than just the clothes. You know, when I sit down with people, you know, I assume, hey, you sent this card in. I assume this is information you're wanting. You know, I assume this is a problem that you have. Uh, you know, now you're not going to tell that to them. Uh, because that's going to put them back on their heels and say, well, hey, you should never assume anything. You know, I, I assume you want to buy something, but, but I'm not going to say that to you. <clears throat> so when I'm asking those questions, you know, I'm asking those questions in such a manner to where I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll ask it where I expect an answer. But if they don't give me one, I'll say, you know, hey, I understand that. And I, I apologize if I got a little bit too nosy. Let me explain to you why I asked that question. And a lot of times then people, you know, they step back and say, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I've had people many times on, you know, hey, can I take a look at your medications, please? Uh, what do you need to see those for? Well, it, it really helps me determine as to what um, product you qualify for because we do offer an immediate day one benefit. Oh, okay. You know, so I'm, I'm asking those questions, you know, fully expecting to get an answer. And if I get any pushback, I'm going to explain to them why I'm asking that question. And, and then if you – continue to get more pushback or it's something they don't want to do or they shut down, then, 
you know, hey, I apologize. I, you know, that wasn't my intention. You know, here, here's the card. I'm out the door. I'm going to go work with the next person. You know, I, I just don't get hung up on that too much. Is there a, a story that your friends or family always tell about you? The only one that comes to mind that I can think of is my parents. And I think this is a lot of kids. I don't think this was just me, but they said, as a kid, you'd never shut up. <laughs> you'd always talk, 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 talk. They'd always say, man, you know, be quiet. You're always talking. So I always thought, well, now you know why I'm in sales. <laughs> um, you know, of course, we joke that, but the best salespeople aren't talking all the time. So I don't know. Maybe that has nothing to do with it. But um, that, that's the one that really comes to mind for me that, that my parents always talk about. Uh, what did your parents do? What was your childhood like? What did they do for a living? Yeah. My dad's always been in construction, so when I was growing up, he was in, primarily in siding. So he was self-employed, you know, so, of course, you got uh, a real good dose of that, you know, every year when things were tough, um, especially the winter months. Uh, my mom's always worked at the hospital. She used to... She used to clean, clean rooms at the hospital, and then she got into medical records, and she's been there ever since. Um, so she's actually to the point here within the next, I would say, three to five years, she'll probably be retired. Uh, my dad had eventually kind of got into roofing and siding, and now, you know, my brother, who is a very hard worker, I, I often tell my wife, um, I say, if, if with the knowledge I had, if I had the work ethic of my brother, Ben, who's just a couple of years younger than me, I said, we'd be rich. <laughs> we'd be rich right now. Um, he started in his own business uh, in concrete, and eventually he, now he's the vice president of a company called McGill Restoration. Uh, they do mainly um, like sealant, concrete stuff and sealant stuff, and now my dad works for him. So <laughs> Uh, my dad was, he was tough to grow up with cause he was, he was kind of hard sometimes. And he always used to tell my brother, it was, it was the thing my brother despised the most. He would tell us to do something and, and Ben would say, well, why do we got to do that? He goes that I will it done be enough. And, <laughs> and now it's hilarious because my dad works for my brother and my brother gives it back to him now on a daily basis and it's stories we tell all the time and we laugh so hard. You know, if my dad goes, why'd I got to do this? That I will it done be enough. Um, <laughs> and then I guess one day when he was working, he had to do something, fill five gallon buckets or something. My brother drove by and stopped his truck and he looked out and he goes, Hey, now make sure you make me proud. <laughs> 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 and so, yeah, he's getting a dose of his own medicine. So we love it. But so yeah, my mom's still in medical records and, and my dad now is working for my brother at McGill Restoration. Awesome. Um, so if you could uh, go back and talk to your 23-year-old self and give yourself a piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? And place us, what were you doing at 23? Well, 23 was when Kalia was born. Uh, she was born in January of 2000. And I turned 24 February 8th of 2000. So that's easy for me when people say when you were 23 because I was, I was done with baseball. I, was, I had just started with Farm Bureau, um, was still playing softball, or was playing softball, I guess, after my baseball career. So I was still, you know, young and dumb. You know how that goes. And, you know, even though, you know, Jill and I weren't married yet, uh, we had a, a newborn daughter together. And, of course, our relationship was rocky 
probably at best. So you can see how far we've come since then. But um, just a stupid kid who just wasn't ready to settle down. Um, I would probably go back and tell myself, you know, hey, you know, quit acting like an idiot, um, you know, settle down maybe a little bit quicker. And I don't know if that necessarily would have helped anything. But as far as this business goes, I wish I would have gotten involved in this business a lot sooner. Now, my wife tells me, she goes, stop saying that. And I go, why? What do you mean? And she goes, you realize everything that you learned at Farm Bureau is kind of what you brought uh, over into this business. So when you talk about failures, you know, I never failed at Farm Bureau, but, you know, I think those experiences in life, regardless if they're good or bad or indifferent, um, ultimately help us become who we are. And so, so even though I, you know, started in this business probably a lot later than what I would have liked, um, ultimately all my experiences that I had when I was younger and when I was with Farm Bureau certainly helped me to become the successful person that I am here today. That's perfect. Let's take it one step further now. Um, if you're old and gray and retired and you could look back on yourself right now and give yourself a piece of advice, what do you think you'd say? Well, I would know. I would have to be old and gray. Uh, <laughs> To give for that person to give advice to me now, I, I would just have to assume what that would be. Um, I would come back to that whole collateral beauty thing. Um, and I don't remember where I read this, but um, they always talked about how people on their deathbed that they would ask them these particular types of questions. You know, what would you do differently? You know, knowing that you're, you know, getting ready to pass away and that you look back on your life, what would you do differently? And people talk so much about, you know, I wouldn't have worried so much about. Money. I wouldn't have worried so much about, you know, the daily things that we get hung up on. I would have, you know, paid more attention to people. I would have, you know, done a lot better as far as, you know, relationships go. I would have taken more trips. So for me, I would say it's, it's those particular things now as far as, you know, hey, I talk about having to pay off those bills and get to a point of contentment. We've got a uh, picture in our hallway upstairs by our bedroom that says, um, life's not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. Um, I would learn a little bit more about how to dance in the rain. You know, just acting like you would normally act your goofy self, like nobody was watching you. You know, people always say, you know, what are you doing? You look like an idiot. Who cares? You know, this is something I want to do. I just, you know, taking that, that trip just on a whim you know, going and doing something just on a whim, um, worrying more about, you know, family and relationships and people and not getting so hung up on all those things that you worry about on a daily basis, you know, and not, not worrying about your mortality. You know, how often do we think, you know, geez, I got to go to my doctor's appointment. You know, I hope everything's okay. I hope everything, who cares? You know, life is what life is. Some things you can change, some things you can't just do the best you can enjoy life and just move forward. And don't worry about it. Tell me about this dog. Uh, I I need to make a trip up to see you one of these days, but I hear that, you know, like you said earlier, your lawn is immaculate. Your house is just beautifully clean and immaculate. And you, you drug your feet quite a while on getting the, getting a dog, but now you have this brand new m large puppy that's going to be a, an even bigger dog. How did this all come yep. about? I had daughters. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> that's, that's, and there it is in a nutshell. Now I can elaborate a little bit more. I mean, I grew up with, with dogs. I mean, I've always been a dog person. My mom loves dogs. She's got her chow. Um, 
you know, my dad loves dogs as well. Um, you know, we built this big, beautiful, nice house, and, and my wife and I, even though, you know, she, she grew up with cats, and I mean, I think she's always liked dogs more than cats. Her dad was a big cat guy, but we've always thought, you know what, we got this big, beautiful, nice house. Boy, last thing we want to do is watch a dog destroy it. Um, and of course, you have daughters, and they're like, oh, we need a dog. We need a puppy. And you're like, no, you don't know what you're saying. You don't realize what comes with this dog. You know, you got to take care of it. You got to get, you got to take this dog out. We got to potty train the dog. You know, things will, you know, it can stink. You know, that dog, we could come home, it could eat up a couch cushion, you know, and that's probably going to happen with this dog, I'm sure, at some point. Um, but they just kind of kept hammering on us and hammering on us and hammering on us. And, and uh, when we were in Kansas City, we actually broke down and, and bought a dog. Uh, we got, uh, and ended up being like a Chihuahua Terrier mix, just a little, little white and black dog we named Husker. <laughs> well, we were never home. So, of course, we leave the dog there. We could never really get it potty trained, and eventually we got to the point where we were like, we give up. Uh, so my brother Ben, who was living in Omaha at the time, we were like, hey, do you guys want this dog? And he's got seven kids. Oh, yeah, we'd love to have a dog. Well, we gave him to him, and, and to this day they still have that dog and love him to death, and so we get to see that dog every time we go over there. Well, I knew the day would come where we would probably break down and have to get this dog Um well, my daughter here, what, a week ago, my youngest, they, you know, she's got friends here around the block, and you know how it is with little girls. You know, sometimes they're getting together, and most of the time they're fighting. Um, well, they had all kind of, there's a place here called Tully's. Uh, we did not go to the pound. We probably should have to rescue a dog, but um, you can go after Tully's, and, and they'll, they'll put you in a room, and you can, you can play with these dogs. Well, she was supposed to go with these other girls, and they ended up going without her. So, of course, she's heartbroken. I get home. My wife looks at me, and I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, Bryn's upstairs. She's, she's heartbroken. She's bawling, blah, 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 tells me the story. And so I talked to my oldest daughter, Kaylea, and I said, hey, because she's always taking Bryn out there to pet the dogs. I said, will you take her out there? You were supposed to take her originally anyway. No, I don't want to go. <laughs> Please, will you just take her out there? Well, now I'm kicking myself. So they go out there, and they find this dog, the one that we own now. And she's sending us pictures and videos and everything. And, boy, this dog's just so easy going. And she's sitting in Bryn's lap and everything. And they come home. And, I mean, it was nonstop. <laughs> Fine. You win. But here's what's changing. Now, you know how that goes. The whole this is what's changing talk. Well, guess what? Nothing has changed. Here's, here's my wife and I taking this dog out. She just took the dog to the vet. And so, anyway, we got a, a bull mastiff. Uh, she was 14 pounds when we took her to the vet last week. My wife just got back home, so after I get off this call, I'm going to ask her, what does she weigh now? Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if she gained four or five pounds, but uh, she was supposed to get some booster shots today. And, and cute dog, real easy going. Um, she does bite a lot, so when she gets in that playful mood, um, as a puppy, she doesn't realize how hard sometimes she's biting. So, But we're doing pretty well in the potty training. We're doing uh, – she, she jumps in her kennel. She loves her little kennel with her bed in there, and I gotta I got to tell you, She's been pretty darn good. So when this dog gets to be 120 pounds and my yard's not so immaculate anymore, I'm sure she will have worked her way into the family to a point where we probably would care less. But I guess these dogs only live 8 to 10 years, so it's going to be interesting here 8 to 10 years from now when this dog's not doing so well. And I'm sure it'll be a, a, tough, a tough family day, So, but we'll see. I'll give you a little recommendation uh, maybe for the girls to read. The book's called Don't Shoot the Dog, uh, How to Train Dogs and Stuff, so you might want to check that out. But I haven't okay. read it, but I hear it's a good one. Um, the last uh, questions here are quick draw questions. Um, the, your answers don't have to be quick, but uh, 
hopefully the, the questions are a little bit quicker. Um, what's one experience that you believe everyone should try at least once? Oh, boy, one experience that everybody should try once. Gosh. Heck, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say skydiving or something like that. Because um, I sure as heck wouldn't do anything like that. Um, I don't know. Just I, I would say one experience everybody should, would be like a family vacation. Because those are those experiences that can be, you know, phenomenal. And they can just be an absolute train wreck. Um, and you never know. Um, every one of them is different, but I think everybody should go on, on like a, um, just a spur of the moment, whim, family vacation, go somewhere, pick up and go. Cool. Be memories nonetheless. Um, are there any books you've read multiple times or is there a book you find gifting often or telling people, Hey, you got to read such and such? Nope. I hate reading. Hate it. And the one I'm reading now, and I'll tell you what, this is the kind of reader I am. I jump around. Um, I had a buddy recommend to me uh, The Case for Christ. Um, And so I'm reading parts of that, and that is very interesting. Um, Now, would I recommend it? Absolutely, I would. But uh, every night when I'm in bed, I'll jump. I've got it on my phone. I'll jump in there, and and I'll continue to. I kind of jumped to the back of the book. There was one chapter I looked at that I thought, man, I want to know about that. I want to know a little bit more about that. And, and so that's where I started, and I'm just kind of working through there towards the end of the book. But as, as far as reading, I think the only book I've ever re- read front to back was, um, and, I, and I'm drawing a blank now, it's, uh, it's the, where the guy's the attorney, the kid uh, is passing away, and, and they're going after that insurance company. I can't remember the name of it now. And I remember reading a little bit of it every day when I was working construction with my uncle. I would come home and use the toilet, read a little bit of that book. And I read that thing from front to back and uh, I haven't read it again. So I've never read anything multiple times. That surprises me, Bill, because you're constantly sending me articles and, and little, you know, things. I figured you read nonstop uh, as much information as you bring, uh, as much knowledge and wisdom of you ha- as you have. How do you pick all that up then? Is it just, I mean, you read, obviously you get emails sent to you, but you, uh, that, that just shocks me. My wife says I have ADD, and I do. I can only sit down and read for so long. So for me, you you hit the nail right on the head. I can read articles. But if I've got to sit there and read a big book, oh, man, I'd rather be outside running around. I'd rather be doing something physical. Um, so, I mean, I, I pay attention, and when I pay attention, I really pay attention. It's probably for a real fleeting moment. Um, but for me, I read a lot of stuff online. I see a lot of articles. I'll read through them. A lot of times I'll skim through and I'll find the parts I really like. Um, but, yeah, as far as reading books, man, I'm just, you know, I've, I've read a few, but I'm just not a big sit-down-and-read-for-hours type guy. You, you talk to those people that, like, Jill can be like that. My mom's like that. Jill's mom's like that. They can sit down and say, oh, I'll read a book in an afternoon. <laughs> not this guy. <laughs> but on that, on that front, do you have any uh, resources or websites or email blasts that you – um, find yourself checking often or, or that you really enjoy? Right now it's revolution golfer. (laughs) I get those, uh, and, and then I get stuff like for Lent, you know, you watch videos for Lent and stuff from, uh, uh, and I can't remember the name of the Catholic website, Matthew Kelly, dynamic Catholic. Yeah. But what's the, uh, dynamic Catholic. Yep. Yep. There you go. So yeah, I'll, I'll get that every day right now. You're getting the Lent deal every day. And, uh, you know, the Christmas or the Advent 
you know, I like listening to, and those are good. Um, otherwise, you know, for me, when I was a brand new agent, you know, I, I did a lot of Kinder Brother stuff, and I'm still, I'm friends with Gary, Gary Kinder. Uh, Jack, I think, may have passed away. He had a stroke many, many years ago because they used to kind of do um, all those things together, and Jack used to come and speak to Farm Bureau, and then I got to where Gary did after Jack had a stroke, and I don't even know if Jack's still alive, but I know Gary is. Um, I'll, I'll check his stuff out every once in a while. In fact, I think, Jim, I think I sent something to you from Gary uh, just the other day uh, from uh, LinkedIn. Right, you did. Is that a K-I-N-D-E-R? Yep. Okay. Yep, and, and Harlan Rupp, which you probably know Harlan, Jim. Yes, I do. When I first started in the business, he had all those kinder tapes. I used to watch them all, loved them, loved watching them. Uh, you hear Gary talk in person. He's very matter-of-fact, in-your-face. I mean, he's the type of guy that, you know, he if you want to be a success, you'll go to those, we used to call them, they were million-dollar roundtable meetings. And, man, you get up, you know, you give your presentation, or you do, and, boy, he'd tell you, you know, hey, that's good, or, or boy, that was terrible. You know, I mean, he was just a very in-your-face, this is how it's going to be. But, I mean, I'll tell you what, if you listen to the guy, you'd be a success. And and he was jaded to the point where he had obviously recruited, hired, and trained so many people over the course of his lifetime that you know how that how that goes. You're like a Bill Belichick. You know, hey, are you going to fit in the Patriot way? Great. If you're not, you're gone. And it doesn't matter what your name is or who you are. And that's kind of how the kinders are. So, I always liked everything I can get from them. I always liked, um, and I'm trying to think of anything else that I could get. You know, you, you look at all the successful business people, you know, you just kind of pay attention to them and look at what they say and, and things that they kind of, Tony Robbins is another one I'll, I'll check out every once in a while. Do you have any specific morning rituals? No, not necessarily. Um, I mean, my ritual is to get up, um, you know, during school here, I get Brent up because Jill now has gotten back into working out. She does the ferals, body sculpting, whatever it's called, ferals. <clears throat> so she goes every morning at uh, 6 o'clock class, so she's up about 5.30, and she's gone for that. So I'll get Brent up, get her, take her down to the couch, and then I got to get her a bowl of cereal, and then I make the coffee. I start making breakfast, and then Jill gets home, and we usually kind of finish getting the girls sent off to school. We'll sit down and drink our coffee together for a little bit. And then I like to watch some of those like Mike and Mike in the morning and some of those sports shows. And, and then I like to get moving around either. I'm in the office working on some things or like today when I'm done with this, I'm going to go work out, get home, get cleaned up, go have lunch with my wife. And then I'm going to try and head out to the golf course. But that my morning ritual really is, is just those types of things, just the normal everyday things. How about evening or before bed? Are there anything, anything you do before you hit the hay? Nothing ritualistic. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be, you know, if there's uh, basketball on or football on, maybe I'll be hanging out with one of the buddies down the street. You know, he's got his garage set up where we'll sit in there and maybe have a beer or something and watch one of those games or whatever, or I'll be down here watching a movie with the wife. You know, when I, when I go down and hang out with the boys, uh, she'll watch her shows, whether it's The Young and the Restless or her 48 Hours or, you know, who got killed and trying to figure out who did it. Um, and then as far as getting ready for bed, you know, you go up and brush your teeth, we'll lay in bed and she'll read, she'll either read a book or read some on her phone. And then I, I kind of told you what I do. I'll read that, you know, case for Christ on my phone for a little bit or, and, and head to bed. Do you have any quotes or sayings or mantras that you keep around as a constant <laughs> reminder? Well, the one that I told you, 
about learning how to dance in the rain. I see that every time I walk upstairs, I look at it and it reminds me of it. And then in my office, I've got Mother Teresa's Do It Anyway. You know, it talks about how, you know, people will be unreasonable, illogical, self-centered, forgive them anyway, you know, be kind anyway, succeed anyway. So it just goes to show you that, you know, every day you got to go out and be the best who you can be. Um, and, and boy, what a great time to talk about that, you know, in this world where, everybody's divided right now and, and maybe it's always been that way and we're just noticing it more now but you know with with obama and now trump it just seems like everybody you got one side you got the other side i don't even know if there's anybody out there anymore who's indifferent yeah and it just seems like you know what you just need to be the best person that you can be you know i try and get to where i don't i don't throw my opinions out there too much too much anymore because it seems like there's always somebody waiting to bash you or, or tell you how you're wrong but um and then I've got another one in here. Um, it says Living Life by Bonnie Moore. Uh, it talks about how life is not a race but a journey. You know, be honest, work hard, be choosy, say thank you, love you, great job. You know, it says live for today, enjoy the moment. So I just gave you a little snippet of that. But, you know, those are the things that uh, that I look at every day. And then I've got the one I know I've talked about before. It's got Jim Stovall's name on it. It says if you want to change your life, you must first change your mind. And, and my wife's a great example of that. You know, she's always wanted to get in a little bit better shape and lose some weight. And, you know, I've always tried to be as, as supportive as I could. There were probably times where I was a little bit meaner than I should have been, where I was like, hey, listen, you know, this is going to be up to you. You know, I had a baseball coach that said, always used to say, if it is to be, it's up to me. And, uh, you know, she had gotten where she would quickly fall off that wagon and this time it was different. I noticed she changed her mind. You know, now it was, no, I'm not staying home today, even though maybe I don't feel all that well. She's in her best moods now when she comes home from that gym. Regardless of how tough it is, she comes home in her best moods of the day because she went to the gym. So regardless of how she feels or what frame of mind she's in, if she can go get that workout in, if we're eating right, if we're making the right decisions and doing the right things, that's when I've noticed she's been at her best. And I've noticed this time it's because she made that commitment in her head. She made that commitment. We talk about this all the time. You carve it in blood. That's kind of that minimum goal. Um, hey, if it is to be, it's up to me. I got to make sure I, make, I get it done. Bill, what is that? There's a quote you use quite a bit on the conference calls from the Kinder Brothers. You might uh, mention that one because I think it's, it's one of the quotes that uh, identifies you to me. Something up first. Well, you're thing, gonna have to, first things first. That's Howard White. Oh, I'm sorry. Howard White always said, "Always do first thing first. You know, uh, and I'd have to look back. That was in his, uh, either in his book, Life Insurance in a Nutshell, or one of his other things. But um, I, I, I think that's a great one, and it's real simple. Um, and people are like, "What? What do you mean by that?" Well, you, we talk about the process all the time. You know, and and people are always trying to, to get to that end point and kind of rushing it to that end point. And I think that quote always makes you really sit down and say, okay, I got to do, you know, first things first. Um, it's never a bad idea to sit down and make a list. Howard White talks about this all the time, where you make a list of, of things you got to do during the day, and then you prioritize them. Most important to least important, because how, how often, and I found myself doing this constantly when I was at Farm Bureau when I was a manager. Oh boy, this won't take very long. I'll do this real quick. This is a—it's just a small, little, stupid report. It's due in two weeks. 
you know, boy, how important is that right now? You know, it wasn't even, if I didn't send it in, it probably wasn't even a big deal. But just being able to make that list and prioritize it and know what the most important things are that you got to do and having that process and knowing that I got to do first things first or the most important thing first makes a big difference. And that's Howard White. Is it W-E-I-G-H-T? W-I-G-H-T. There you go. And I've heard him speak twice. Once in Denver, um, Jim, with Danny Dinkle, we went out there early, early in my uh, agent career. We heard him speak in Denver, and he was one of the top producers, I think, for Northwest Mutual. And he's an ex, I don't know if it's Army, he's an ex uh, military guy. And he even talked about going through, talk about adversities, even went through a situation where his daughter was raped and had mentioned that in there and broke down and. Uh, but man, just he's one of those. I don't want to say in your face guys, but he's got a he's got another book called Red Letter Language, and I find myself now getting into those situations where it almost seems like it's a little in your face with the client, but you've got he's got those little sayings, those little sentences that really hit home, and and like what I was telling you, and I think I was telling you this. Oh no, I was telling Don Maker this. I had those folks telling me the other night, oh, Bill, we just, gosh, we, we want to do this. We just can't afford it. They didn't have anything. She's lost her job. She's looking for another job. I'm still working. You know, he was getting a pension or something and still working at Walmart. And I said, well, well listen to me for just a second. I said, if, if the premium is a problem, I said, how tough do you think the death benefit's going to be if something were to happen to either one of you? And, and he looked at me like, boy, you're right. You know, I said, I said, you're, you're, you know, quabbling over 50 bucks. What if, what if the number's 5,000? Let's add two zeros on there. You're going to get cremated for 5,000 bucks. 50 is a problem. Don't you think 5,000 is a bigger problem? And that's a Howard White thing. Howard White says you're getting, you're getting hung up on the wrong thing as being the problem. He's the one that always said you're looking at the premium as being the problem. The premium is the solution to your problem. That's Howard White. Perfect. And it made the sale. Awesome. Made the sale. What are one to two things that people can do or change in the next week that would have a, a drastic impact on their lives? I would, I would go back to what we just talked about. <clears throat> Doing first things first. Making that list. And the Kinder Brothers would talk about this. At the end of every day in your office, make a list of things you got to do the next day. And prioritize them if you need to. You can do that as well. And then they always talked about how your brain works on that overnight while you're sleeping. And then when you get up in the morning, you're, I mean, you're ready to roll. Hey, what do I got to do? First things first, most important thing first. And I would say if people did that on a daily basis, my grandpa used to do that. My grandpa used to sit down. I remember sitting at the <clears throat> kitchen table with him, and he always used to look out the window in the backyard. He had his dog kennels, his hunting dogs back there, and I always looked down at his hand. He was holding a pen, and there would always be a pad there. And I was used to ask him, what is that? What are you doing? And he'd always he'd tell me every time. He goes, I write down everything i got to do today. And so I think if people – and that's just, you know, Jim, you talk about me having, you know, things in order and, and uh, knowing exactly what I'm going to do, and, and, and that's a big part of it. If you've got all that written down and know exactly – what you've got to accomplish that particular day. If you do that on a daily basis and you make that a habit, because what I've noticed, especially in this business, is if you keep everything in front of you, 
How often do you find yourself in a situation where if you just grabbed your cards and nothing was ready, threw your bag in your car, grabbed your cards and went out there and you're like, geez, I don't even have them put in my GPS. I don't even know where I'm going. Uh, who did I talk to last week? Who haven't I contacted? What? I mean, you'd spend so much time trying to figure out where the hell you were at, what you were doing. It'd be tough to go make a sale. When you keep everything in front of you, so I've got my cards broken down. You know, who did I talk to last week that said to contact them this week? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to door knock? I got those separate little piles. Everything's in my GPS. I got my bag loaded. I know where everything's at. So now I can get out and work. I can kind of get out of my own way. And, and so I would say that that's one of those main things I would tell people. If you can do that, uh, you'll be ahead of the ballgame. Perfect. We're almost done. I only have two more questions. Uh, first of all, are there any anything that you want to point people towards, any websites or recommendations that you have? Um, you know, can do you have an awesome Twitter page that uh, that you tweet from or anything? Where can they find you? Well, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Uh, they're probably not going to find, you know, I'll like certain things here and there. You know, so if they jump on there and find me, they're certainly welcome to. And, um, you know, is, is my Twitter feed full of that stuff? No, absolutely not. Um, as far as websites and, and stuff like that, I would I would mention all the people we've already talked about. You know, Kinders and Howard White and uh, Zig Ziglar and um, who's the one who wrote How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success. Um, you know, I've got a couple of copies of that. Frank Betcher. Frank Bet Betcher, yeah. And he was an ex, if I remember right, he played baseball. Yes, he did. <laughs> Professional baseball. So, yeah. So, I mean, those those are the, some of the things that, that I've, you know, that I have uh, experience with that I would mention to new agents. You know, and, and the thing, to me, it all comes down to when we went to those uh, meetings, like those annual meetings with Farm Bureau was always right around Valentine's Day. They called it the Valentine's meeting. It used to be a big deal especially when we were in Kansas, the best information you'd ever get out of those darn things were never, you know, all the people up there, you know, that they hired in to, to talk. It was always the agents. They always had a section in there where they had like three of the top agents and usually a rookie, you know, within their first two years in the business. And they would have them come up and talk and, and their information was the best. And so I would tell every new agent, the same thing I've told every past new agent I've ever talked to is go surround yourself with those top-tier agents, whether they're brand new, first couple of years in the business, or they've been around for years and years and years. Go surround yourself with those people. Do what they do, and you'll become successful. It's not rocket science. <laughs> what would you like your personal legacy to be? Personal? Yeah. Oh, I'm probably the same as, as what everybody else would like. I mean, my personal legacy, I'd like to, <clears throat> you know, people to look back fondly on me. You know, of course, I I know I, I probably have enemies in this world, you know, just like I have friends. But um, I, would, I, I was always passionate about everything that I did, you know, so I would like people to look back fondly on me and just say, hey, you know, regardless of what you think about Bill, you know, we, you knew he worked hard. You knew he was pretty passionate about everything that he did. Uh, you know, and ultimately trying to be the best, you know, father and husband and grandfather and whatever. And, um, you know, personally, that's what I would like. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the time. I was kind of nervous to interview you, but uh, I had a blast. So, uh, Well, Tucker, it was great. You did a great it. job. I appreciate it. Bill, you did a great job. Thanks for your time.
Not a problem. You guys have a good day. Okay, All right. See you. Have fun golfing. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. I will. Bye. Stop by oneanddonetraining.com. That's the number one, A-N-D-D-O-N-E, training.com. There you'll find our blog, media library, and ongoing training to help with your final expense career. Thanks. We'll see you there.